0: 6 1 through 21 Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its mighty warriors. Your entire army is to march around the city once a day for 6 days. Seven priests will walk ahead with the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you were to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests priests give one long blast of the horns, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the city. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the city and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns marched, started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Armed guards marched both in front of the priests and behind the ark, with the priests continuously blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns armed guards marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time the priests were sounding their horns. On the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the city as they had done before but this time they went around the city seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of the horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given us the city. The city and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on all Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the horns, they shouted as loud they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the city from every side and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, donkeys everything.
1: Amen. A couple of years ago, in our home, our garbage disposal decided to go kaput. And so Jay and I, in an effort to try and be conservative and save money, we thought, well, we'll just go buy one and we'll put it in ourselves. And so we got our instructions and we watched some YouTube videos on how to do it. And so we did all the work, we did it, and we got it in, we installed it, we turned it on and it worked. And we were so excited, we were patting ourselves on the back, look at us, we followed the instructions and we got it to work, and then a couple of days later... We went to use our dishwasher, and our dishwasher wasn't working. I went to open it, and it was still filled with water. The water wasn't draining out. And I thought, I can't believe it. So now a Garbage is full? Now I have to replace the dishwasher? So we thought, all right, fine. Well, this one we're going to have to have them come in and install. So we did that. We went out, bought a brand-new dishwasher, put that, had that installed. Then we went to run it. And the same problem happened. Still wasn't working. Still getting backed up. The water wasn't draining out. And we said, what? And then it you know, clicked up here. Well, maybe it had something to do with that garbage disposal we put in. And so back to the Internet, because everything you read on the Internet is true. So we did a search and discovered that in the garbage disposal, there's that little part that's supposed to connect to the dishwasher. And in there is a little piece of plastic that you're supposed to knock out. And we didn't know that. So we just knocked that out and voila, the dishwasher worked. But we didn't really need to replace that other one. The other one was working fine. Our problem was that we didn't follow the instructions completely because instructions are important. Instructions matter. We've been in a series called Life Lessons, studying the book of Joshua, looking at Joshua's life, the experience of the Israelites and seeing what the lesson is for us. In chapter 1, we learn to be strong and courageous. We learn that the Lord's promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. His promises are real and trustworthy because he is faithful. In chapter 2, we looked at Rahab. She taught us to believe by faith no matter what our past was trying to dictate to our future. Because when we believe by faith, God writes a new story for us. In chapter 3, we looked at the Israelites crossing the Jordan, and we learned to have a heart to follow, to see where God is going and go after him. You see, the Israelites were charged with following the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. and That was their focus. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Because when we follow in God's will, that's when we see great things. That's when we see miraculous things. In chapter 4, after the crossing, they were told to take 12 stones and build a memorial so they would never forget what God had done for them. The lesson was to remember all that the Lord has done for us. Then last week in chapter 5, we could sum it up in saying, no pain, no gain. Because if we want to experience the blessing, sometimes we need to experience the pain first. But after the pain comes the healing. And then after the healing comes a new encounter with God. But this morning we're going to learn that following instructions is important. We often think we have things figured out, but only to discover that we have no idea what's going on. Here in America, what we do is we glorify the strongest. We glorify the smartest The American dream, in many ways, is built upon becoming the biggest and the richest and the best in your field. You can do anything and be rewarded for your ability. James Truslow Adams, he was the man who coined the term the American dream, and this is how he defined it. The American dream is where each man and woman shall be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are innately capable And be recognized by others for what they are. In layman's terms, that means you can become everything you were meant to be, and your community will applaud your success. Ability and self sufficiency, with those, you can accomplish anything. But the dangerous assumption is that our greatest asset, our greatest power, is in our ability. You see, the American dream prizes what people can do when they believe in themselves and trust in themselves. But the gospel says completely the opposite. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves and to believe in God and to trust in his power. In the gospel, Jesus confronts us with our utter inability. Inability. And it's in our inability to accomplish anything. We can only do what Jesus allows us to do. That's success. That's success by Jesus' standards. He said in John 15, 5, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, God helps us recognize our inability. God chooses to reveal our weaknesses. He chooses to put us in situations where our inability is evident. And then we come face to face with our need for him. In his process, he powerfully demonstrates his ability in the face of our inability So that in the end, it's his name that's glorified, not ours. As we look at our text this morning, Jericho is this massive, walled-up city. No one was coming in or out. It was completely shut up. And they were inside, terrified of the Israelites on the outside. But you have to wonder, the Israelites are standing there looking at this walled city... How are we supposed to take this city? It's up on a hill. No one can attack it. We got nothing. But God reveals his plan. Starting in verse 3. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, let's be honest, that's really a weird plan. Our first thought is that's just a crazy, stupid plan. It makes no sense. It doesn't use any of their strengths. It doesn't use any of their abilities at all. Why did God lay out the instructions this way? Don't miss what God is doing in this battle plan for the Israelites. He's demonstrating an important foundational truth for his people and for us who choose to follow him. He will get the glory. He will exalt his name. And he will deliver. That's how God works. He puts his people in positions where they're desperate for his power. And then he shows his provisions in ways that display his greatness. You see, when the Israelites stand in the rubble of Jericho, they will realize that only God could have done it. Which brings us to an important question. Are we dependent upon ourselves? Are we dependent on our abilities to do things? Or are we desperate to see God's Spirit at work? You see, in society, we have a structure that succeeds in the work world work hard, demonstrate ingenuity, self promotion. Align yourself with powerful people. Network socially and get noticed. Get ahead. Fawn over those important people. Use people if necessary, and you'll be successful. Unfortunately, sometimes we bring that structure into the church, and we try running the church like a business. We have fooled ourselves into thinking, that we just have to have a nice building. Oh, if we just have great worship, if we just have a great speaker up there, or a great children's program, if we just have those things, then the people will come. But with that mentality, we can build a church in our ability. Where's the power of God in that scenario? Where is our desperation for the power of God? If we stopped praying, if we stopped seeking God's leadership, if we stopped following His Spirit in the way we do things, would anything change? Would it change in our church? Would it change in our personal lives? If the answer is not really, then we need to ask ourselves, who are we depending on? Or what are we depending on? David Platt wrote a book called Radical. And this is what he says about the American church. What is strangely lacking in the picture of performances, in personalities and programs and professionals, is the power of God. God's power, at best, is an add-on to our strategies. We can so easily deceive ourselves, mistaking the presence of physical bodies in the building for the existence of spiritual life in the community. But we do this in our personal lives as well. We look around at all the things that we're doing, that we're doing in our abilities. We need to ask ourselves ourselves, Where's the power of God? In my life, in my circumstance right now, where's the power of God? Am I desperate to see it? Or am I depending on my abilities to just do it myself? Imagine if the story of Jericho had happened differently. Suppose the Israelite army had organized destructive teams to crumble just a portion of the wall. And then they snuck in during the night in a surprise attack and destroyed and savaged the city during the night. They would have thought that Joshua was a genius. They would have thought the army was fantastic. And at the end, they would have said, God gave us a victory. But all the credit went to the earthly leaders. Oh, sure, lip service was given to the power of God. But did they really need the power of God to get that victory? Probably not. See, we've followed the world's model for success, and we've left the power of God by the wayside in our churches and in our personal lives. But that isn't what we see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, we find a small group of timid disciples. They're huddled together in an upper room. And they were there because they were following instructions. Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he's going to give you. And so there they sat. They were waiting. Didn't make sense. They didn't understand it. But they did know that they needed God's power. And while they were waiting for God, they weren't trying to fix the problem. They weren't trying to solve a problem. They weren't putting together committees. They weren't putting together programs or strategies. They were praying. Acts 1.14 tells us they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They were not putting their faith in themselves. They were not relying on themselves. They were pleading for the power of God. And they were confident that nothing could be accomplished without it. When we focus on God's instructions and when we respond in obedience in our personal lives and in the church, we take ourselves out of that equation. It's no longer about our abilities or our preferences or our wants or our desires. Suddenly it becomes about our desperation for the power of God because following God's instructions matters. Remember Rahab, the prostitute from chapter 2. She was obedient to God and protected the Israelite spies. And then she was even obedient to tie the red cord in her window and bring her whole family into her home so that they would all be spared. And then, so after the walls of Jericho fall, Joshua says this to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. In fact, she was given the honor of being in the family tree of Jesus. You see, in her inabilities, she was desperate for the power of God. So she responded in obedience to God's instructions. And she was delivered. And her and her whole family were saved from destruction. But let's contrast contrast that with a man who disregarded God's instructions. Remember what was said. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. As chapter 7 in Joshua opens... But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. You see, Achan did things his way. He fulfills his wants and his desires. He completely disregards the Lord's instructions. He shows no sign and no desire to witness the power of God. And as a result, the nation loses a battle that should have been an easy one in the midst of God's power. When they lose this battle, it's a major blow to the Israelites' psyche. It says the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. Their courage melted away. Then Achan and his whole family, they get stoned. Because obedience to God's instructions, it matters. You see, the message for us in the battle of Jericho is about the power of God in our obedience. It's about our dependence upon him, not ourselves. God loves keeping his promises. He loves answering prayers. He loves performing miracles and fulfilling dreams. That's who he is, and that's what he does. The greatest moments in life are those miraculous moments when our inability, our human impotence, intersects with God's omnipotence. And they intersect when we invite God to intervene in our circumstances. Through our obedience. Because when we trust God's wisdom, and we do whatever he says to do, even when it seems stupid, even when it seems foolish to the world out there, even when we don't understand it, when we respond in obedience, we deepen our relationship with God. And that's when we experience his power. But our obedience to God, it's not merely out of duty. It's not merely out of obligation. Neither do we do it out of fear or compulsion. We obey God out of love. We obey God because we trust him. And that's where we see God's power at work. What if Joshua didn't follow God's instructions to marching around Jericho what if Joshua thought he knew better and he marched around 5 times they would have missed the opportunity to enter the promised land again the greatest tragedy in the church and in the lives of believers is when we stand at the edge of god's promises but we let fear or pride get in the way of our obedience Obedience takes risks. When we step out in faith, we'll release God's power into our lives. Jesus said these words in John 15, starting in verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What are the things that are putting fear in your life? What is your struggle this morning? Whatever it is, It doesn't stand a chance when you follow God's instructions and obey his word. Because God is for you. There's no need to be afraid. Remember back to chapter 1, what the Lord said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All he said to him was, Joshua, follow my instructions, and in your obedience, you will see my power, and you'll see my glory on display. One final point as we finish up. When the people finished following the instructions of the Lord over those six days, on the seventh day, they responded with praise. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. You see, there's power in the praise and worship of our Lord. We sing songs of praise and worship on Sunday morning. Because praise elevates us into his presence and his power. See, when we praise God, we lift him up. We glorify him. And when we praise God, his presence comes near us. And all his power and his glory is released. Most importantly, when we praise the Lord we're humbly acknowledging our complete dependence upon him. You see, really, God's plan for the Israelites to take Jericho, that was pure genius. Because as they followed his instructions, they were able to keep their focus fixed on the Lord and not on the difficult circumstances before them. Instead of complaining, instead of grumbling and giving the enemy a chance of defeating them, they were able to witness the power of God. Because the key to witnessing the power of God was not so much in following the great plan, but following the great God who made the great plan. That's what trips us up when we focus only on the instructions, when we focus only on the plan and not on the great God behind them, then we fall back into looking at our abilities and not God's. Church, we serve a God who can do the undoable. We serve a God who makes the impossible possible. He's a miracle-working God. God. But if we don't invite him into our circumstances and obey his instructions, we'll never see that power. But it begins with a question Am I depending upon my own abilities? Am I trying to fix it my way? Or am I desperately seeking the power of God? It's a question that we need to answer individually. And corporately, as a body of believers. In the days ahead, as God prepares us for the harvest in this community, he may ask us to do the instructions he gives us. They may be crazy. They may be foolish. They may sound stupid, and we may not understand them. But then we have to ask ourselves, is this what's going to glorify him? Is this... If we follow his instructions, are we releasing the power of God to do his work? Remember, even in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, when the church was growing and growing and growing, it says, and the Lord grew their numbers. It had nothing to do with the power of the apostles. It had everything to do with the power of God behind them. And so, are we desperately seeking the power of God in our lives? Or are we still stuck in the, I can do it. I can do it myself. I'll fix it. Release it. Release it to the God who can do the undoable. He can do the impossible. Heavenly Father, Thank you. Thank you for the stories that we read in your word, the stories that have lessons for us today, because your word is timeless. Lord, as we leave this place this morning, may we seek, be desperate for your power in our lives. May we lay aside our fears. May we lay aside our pride. Recognize our inability and recognize our complete dependence upon you. Father, as we leave this place, may we be a light that shines for you. May we be a light that brings hope and love to the people we come in contact with. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.